Welcome to the road to growth, success of an entrepreneur. We've raised the bar. Learn firsthand from successful business owners and create your own path to success. I'm going to show you how great I am. It's time to hit the road to growth with team lead of the Enriquez Group, Realtor Vinny. You know, IT is a very exciting thing for most people talking about. <laughs> how would you describe uh, yourself and your company if they go, hey, John, what do you do? Uh, so what I do is I run an IT services business uh, and we, we support roughly 15,000 people now. We've had a massive growth spurt. So oh, wow. that's, a, that's a different part of the story. But um, so if you ask the end users of the Purple Guys, basically our customers, what do the Purple Guys do? We answer the phone when something doesn't work and the something generally has an on off switch in the screen. So tablet, laptop, PC, phone. Uh, they're basically the end users on their company networks. And we're, we're that help desk, the IT service department. Um, and wow. so we answer the phone, we make sure they know how to use what they're, what, what they've invested in and uh, get the most of that out of that investment and keep them productive throughout the day. So that, that's the core of what we do. And then all the other tech stuff. So we make sure their data is secure. It's backed up. They got a good firewall. They actually do have a password policy, try to keep the bad guys out. Um, all that kind of stuff that happens behind the scenes. So that's what we do. So for, for any kind of company, they can bring you on and you could be their IT support, like on-call IT support. Is that kind of like the structure of it? Yeah, that, that is the structure. So we, we are a service on a monthly basis. So it is a recurring revenue business, which is the only kind of business I actually understand because <laughs> uh, I, I like to sell it once and then it's sold forever. Um, and as, as long as we keep doing a good job, it's sold forever. Uh, but yeah, we, we're a, a budgetable line item. So, you know, our customers range on the small end, 20 employee companies and on the big end, three, 400 employees. Uh, most of them are in that 20 to 60, 20 to 80 employee range. So that's, oh. that's the, the type of company we, we support. So tons of small business. Uh, and, and I love supporting small business. I, I think small business is by far the engine that drives this country. And I'm super excited to be part of uh, keeping that engine up and running. Well, I mean, we, we get a lot of uh, those kind of entrepreneurs. Sometimes they're small business. Sometimes they're, they've been in that small business kind of uh, uh, footprint. But yeah, no, I can definitely yeah. appreciate it. And that's usually, uh, at least for the people I've had on here, one of the last things, kind of having the knowledge base for the technology. There are some people yeah. selling to Amazon and things like that. Uh, but yeah, it's great to have that support. Now, talking about a, a young John, who, who was a young John? Was he really into computers, technology? <laughs> I, I was not. And my kids will tell you I'm still not. Uh, <laughs> I, I have never been that tech guy. Uh, I have been had, had the entrepreneurial itch always. Um, and this just happened to be the, the thing that stuck for the longest period of time. Uh, but I, as a young John, I was I'm, I'm, a, I'm a service based kind of help type of person. That's kind of how I'm wired. And I love to build stuff. So I used to build my own furniture. Uh, and so just, you know, kind of that, that act of pulling people together, creating something that wasn't there before, creating systems and processes around it uh, so that it can live without you having to do everything. Um, that, that's what I like to do a lot. So a young John building stuff, serial entrepreneur, what was the, the first platform? So you're, you're in school, college and then kind of starting your business or is it before starting a business what was your first kind of business venture uh first business venture was moving from chicago with my wife 
to Kansas City to start a branch office that we had equity in the office. Uh, it was for an IT staffing firm. And we left well-paying jobs in Chicago. Actually, my wife and I were competitors for a brief period, which was a terrible idea. Because uh, I'm competitive, my wife's really competitive. Uh, so I left my job, went to work for her company, wrote a business plan, took it to her boss and said, hey, we want to open a branch office in Kansas City, which is actually where my wife grew up. So that's why Kansas City. Uh, and we want to start a branch office of your company. We want you know equity in the business. We funded the startup out of commissions that my wife uh, gave up that on business she earned in Chicago. So that was our buy-in. We had 25% ownership in the new branch. We came in April of 1996 uh, and by October, and this was an IT staffing business, so basically technical temping. Um, so by October, we were on a million dollar run rate. Uh, we were doing 80 some plus thousand dollars a month in recurring revenue, uh, which you know, I'm, I'm, I refer to myself as an unintentional serial entrepreneur. So this is version 1.0 of that. Uh, so wrote the business plan, had equity in the branch, I did the math ahead of time because I'm actually an engineer. That's my degree. So I, I overanalyze things a lot, which my wife will also agree to. Um, but I had done the math and I'm like, hey, here's what we're capable of doing. And we did it. I mean, we crushed it. Uh, so in you know, basically a five month period, we're on a million dollar run rate. That's when the majority owner of that company said, hey, you're going to make more money than anybody else in the, in the company. And I said, hey, we built a branch that didn't exist before. This is what we agreed to. He's like, well, I'm not going to pay you. Uh, and he didn't. Uh, he said, nope, not going to pay you. And so we left. Uh, and my my second entrepreneurial endeavor was to go into business with my wife's uncle. And in hindsight, you know, felt like we needed that safety net and a cushion uh, of, of another financial backer. Didn't, you know, and, and in hindsight, we didn't. I mean, we went zero to million dollars in revenue in five months and we, we opened another it staffing firm and it's not a cash intensive business so it was kind of silly but we did uh and it turns out my wife's uncle is insane um and you know i asked her after we were in the relationship for a while and it would have been nice to share this family secret and uh, she's like i didn't know i just thought it was a little weird and kind of controlling but you know you always had this business thing so uh that business was another it staffing firm and uh well again. okay before we get past the uncle let, let's rewind okay you're so it i mean before you got into it it staffing yep. what was your perception of like it did you it just was it pretty straightforward was it a booming business what drew you into that that sector uh, well, my first job out of college, I went to work for Price Waterhouse, and so this is a long time ago. Uh, it was before it's Price Waterhouse Coopers, so it was just Price Waterhouse, and I was on the management information systems side, the MIS division, which was essentially technical temping, but to really big companies uh, like Rouge Steel out of Detroit was one of the projects I worked on. I worked for New England Electric, which is the electric company that services most of the East Coast. Um, and I liked that world. I liked the consulting world. Um, and I'd always wanted to start something. So I saw this business model of, you know, you get a project, you put some people on the project, the project lasts six months or, or a year, or in the case of some of the projects at Price Waterhouse, it lasts three years. You didn't have to go sell another project, but essentially it was a recurring revenue model where 
you sell something, people are placed for a long period of time. You just got to find good people and you got to match them up with projects that exist. So that was the genesis of that first idea. Uh, and when I left Pricewaterhouse, because I met my wife actually on a project uh, while I was traveling, and that is the road. It, you are a road warrior in that world for a long period of time. Uh, and, you know, I met my wife on, on a two week project in Nashville, and I actually wanted to spend time in the same city with my wife. Uh, and she had moved up to Chicago, which is where I was based. And then I promptly got sent out to Boston for nine months. I'm like, this is not going to fly. So I left that, went to a smaller company that did IT staffing, but on a much smaller level, not nearly as big as Pricewaterhouse. And that was really where I got my feet wet on the, all right, could I even do this? So I went from that huge company, thousands and thousands of employees, multi multinational brand and kind of international business to a small Chicago-based staffing company. I also took my, I, I was kind of a technical resource previously and, and put on kind of a sales hat with my, my new company. And I managed a $6 million book of business for an IT staffing firm. And that was my first endeavor in sales. Like I sold to existing customers and this is actually where my wife and I were competitors. She was a competitor trying to sell into my accounts and it, it was not a good deal because anytime I would win and she wouldn't, she wouldn't win. She's like, couldn't they just given it to somebody else? Um, so that, that was kind of where I first got the, all right, you know, I'm seeing how this small business is being run. I've always wanted to start something. I think I can do this. And then I, I wrote the business plan for her owner and said, hey, you don't have a branch office in Kansas City. Um, we want to go start one. So I knew enough about kind of the finances of how the company ran. And I didn't know everything about everything, but I knew I could kind of do the ops stuff and help recruit. And I knew my wife was a heck of a lot better salesperson than I was um, and that she could sell. So like, how hard can this be? So a little bit was, was probably being naive which I think is why the owner is like, okay, I'll sign this. I'll give you 25% of the profits of the branch. He was thinking that it was going to take years to get any profits out of it. And we got massive profits out of it in five months. Going back to the, to the, the big company compared to the small company, I mean, even to the company, your companies now, I mean, mm -hmm. where do you see the, the pros and cons? So like if you're, if you're selling right for one of the big companies, right, mm -hmm. there's probably, things you're going to use to leverage they work with us because we're a bigger company. We have these things. Yeah. You're selling for the smaller company. What are those kind of positives? So what's the positive negatives of, of each Avenue? Make sense. Uh, from a, how do you represent yourself to the market? Yeah. Point? Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, we're really apples and oranges with, with a thing like price waterhouse and you know, price waterhouse coopers. Now, I mean, a, a, a small project for them is going to be, you know, multiple millions of dollars, a big project for us, is ten thousand dollars a month so yeah. i mean those so we're, we're we're not playing in the same world anymore yeah. the the better comparison is you know how would i compete against myself from when i started purple guys and it was really just my wife myself and, and like two people doing the work uh to today where we've got you know across the company it's about a, an 85 person help desk Mm. Um, you know, I started where I was actually still part of the help desk and had a couple of people that would help do the, the tech stuff. Um, is, is there any benefits to, to having a, a smaller company, less people, more hands-on talking to the same people or with the systems you put in place, it's a pretty smooth process of kind of working through 
everyone. The the difference. So the world we play in, we're competing against one guy in a truck, and we're competing against other firms. Um, the benefit of the one guy in a truck is it's your guy. You're always yeah. going to talk to the same guy. You don't have to explain yourself because you talked to him last week. The problem is it's just one guy. And if he's got six clients and more than one of them have a problem at the same time, five, you know, five people are pissed off and one person's happy. Mm -hmm. uh, so there's, there's a limiting factor to the size and especially the, the help desk component of what we do. The number one uh, measure of customer satisfaction is response time. So mm -hmm. when you got an issue, it's an emergency kind of no matter what it is, even if your printer ran out of yellow toner, uh, it's an emergency and you want it, you know, want somebody to deal with whatever that issue is right then. So there, there is a, uh, a scale you've got to get to so you can actually park some people at a desk with a phone uh, and then the processes are around how to do that. So you've, it's relatively easy to compete against that sole proprietor and, and as companies scale, you know, the, the scale is, you know, well, I talked to Susie yesterday, now I'm talking to Joe and Joe doesn't know what I talked to Susie about. So you get that trade off as soon as you've got a, you know, a help desk team. Mm. Um, and kind of our magic is we, we write everything down that can be written down. It gets stored in a database and stored in a system. So it's not like we had the conversation, but we can look up the notes from the conversation and be up to speed. We organize stuff in the same way for every client. So we know that this is where you look for their internet connectivity. This is where you look for the type of laptop they use. This is where you look for the types of software they use and the different vendors that are involved in the technology stack. So, and that's kind of from my organizational background is, I mean, it's gotta be organized. And if it can be done in a bullet point checklist, that's how it's done. Uh, Cause that makes me warm and fuzzy on the inside out. Well, let's jump back to kind of the conversation. So you, you, you and your wife had 25% stake in that company. Uh -huh. um, did you get, how hard was it on leaving it and not fighting for that, that profit that you were supposed to get? I'm, I'm guessing there's a contract in place. I'm guessing. There was oh, it was a, it was a 38 page operating agreement and contract. Yes. Uh, okay. that he wrote, uh, okay. totally. uh, it was, it was very emotional. Cause you know, you know, there's, there's a promise there and expectation. And I mean, we blew the doors off. Uh, it wasn't like we didn't do what we said we were going to do. We did more than we thought we were going to do. And so it's just this big letdown of what do you mean? You're not going to pay me. Um, so the decision to leave that and essentially start over from scratch, you know, uh, it was hard. It was emotional. It's, but you know, the way we looked at it, like, well, it took five months to do this. How hard can it be to get it again? Uh, and, you know, again, my my mistake was thinking we needed a third party and a partner to be financial backing. And we really didn't. Um, but we went that way anyhow. Um, and we left. We got sued. So that was my first time in court. Um, even though we didn't compete, we went to all new clients and I figured out that anybody with a bad attitude and $60 can pull you into court and you don't want to be in court. Um, so I learned a lot of, a lot about the legal system and about picking the right lawyer and all that kind of stuff. So you got sued by the uncle? Oh, no, we got sued by the, my wife's boss, the one that, okay. Okay. So he, he sued us for a non-compete that he had violated because he didn't pay us. And the, the net net of all of that was we had a two week jury talk trial 
on a non-compete case that it took almost six months to even get to the trial. It was, it was a horrible time. All this while we're starting another business, which the business was actually growing and we were doing fine. Um, but we were hamstrung with all of these court things and due diligence. And it was, it was a mess and go to this two week trial. Uh, I also figured out why they put judges on the ballot every however many years, because some of them don't, shouldn't be a judge. Our judge, we, we found all this out, out kind of during and a little bit after he, he was drunk most of the days he was actually in court. Uh, he fell asleep several times. Uh, we hired the wrong lawyer. And again, this was, we relied on my wife's uncle to hire our legal counsel because he was now the financial backer. He hired a union labor negotiator to have a, to do litigation. Like it was so not in his, like he was so uncomfortable. It was ridiculous. Um, anyhow, we wound up having a two week trial. We won on the fact that he didn't pay us. So that was like, that was because we said, Hey, he didn't pay us. He's like, yeah, he didn't pay you, which should mean that there was no contract because he voided the contract, but he also said, Oh, and you competed, um, which is like, it makes literally no sense. So we wound up with a half million dollar judgment, which was insane. Um, which he's like, Oh, that kind of sucked. He immediately cut it in half. So it was only a quarter million dollars, which again was still a ridiculous sum of money for us at the time. Um, uh, yeah, that was that was my first legal experience. Okay, so so you're in a hole now for a quarter million dollars. Yeah. What and you're trying to start this own your this. Oh yeah, and, and we're actually growing the business. It didn't quite go zero to a million in five months, but it was growing at almost that same pace because we were just doing the same thing over here with a different set of customers. Um, and so yeah, we're we're stuck now with this two hundred fifty thousand dollar judgment against us and trying to negotiate stuff um it, it sucked um we were also a child at the time so my wife was like eight months pregnant uh so yeah we had all kinds of emotional things going on uh at that and then we uh the the, the resolution to that was we decided to file for bankruptcy so i got to mm. deal with bankruptcy you know, uh chapter i think it's chapter 11 is the restructuring yeah uh, one one is liquidation. One anyway, we did the chapter whatever for restructuring. So I learned about bankruptcy law. The beautiful part about putting the company in bankruptcy was it stopped all legal stuff. I could just focus on running the business, and it stopped all of everything. Um, they couldn't harass us. They're like, oh, we have to go through the bankruptcy process now, which we wound up settling for like I, I want to say it was like a hundred thousand dollars, which was still a lot of money. So my wife's uncle did write a check. Uh, to make the whole thing go away for like a hundred grand. Um, and as soon as we filed bankruptcy and I didn't have to mess with that and my wife, when we were kind of out of that emotional roller coaster of, are we going to win? Are we not? What's going to happen? Um, the, it, we took off like a rocket. We went zero to $10 million in a four year period. We, we did $10 million our fourth year in business, zero to 90 employees, zero to $10 million in revenue. Um, the business was phenomenal. When did you get rid of the uncle, the, the quote unquote crazy uncle? Uh, the crazy uncle. Um, so this is again, lessons learned from my entrepreneurial bumps and bruises. We had a one page operating agreement with the uncle because it was family. Don't ever do that. <laughs> uh, 
Although that one page operating agreement did say, hey, we want to get into business. Here's the gist of the business. By the way, we really just want to get it started and we want to buy you out. We want to give you a good return. But our whole goal is we want to own this thing. So, you know, that whole lawsuit took up the better part of the first year, which was insane that a non-compete took that long and drug out that long, but it did. Um, we got out of that and we just started growing like crazy and we cash flowed like crazy. We were doing $10 million and dropping. It was just shy of 16% to the bottom line. Um, so it was a very profitable service-based business. Um, the more profitable we got, the more revenue we added, the more belligerent my wife's uncle got. Uh, we found out there was this weird dynamic between he and his older brother, which is my wife's dad. So my wife's dad ran one of his other companies because he had kind of this holding company and his, her dad ran one of the other companies. And he's like, well, if you guys don't do what I say, I'm going to fire your dad. I'm like, what are we in high school? I mean, what the hell? This is nuts. Um, and he said that more than once. Um, and it finally got to the point where it was so so much animosity and anxiety and it was a lot of money and stuff because again we were doing 10 million dollars dropping 16 percent to the bottom line and my wife was getting paid commission i was running the business the business side was awesome the family dynamic that was there was it was just off the rails especially with her dad being part of that deal and we just decided enough is enough We'd been trying to buy it anytime we brought up the subject of trying to buy it and do what we had said basically day one. He, he would have none of it and he would threaten her dad. He would threaten all kinds of crap. Um, and the final nail in the coffin for me, I learned what fiduciary responsibility meant <laughs> in terms of the person wearing the president hat. Because um, he called me one day and said, I need a half million dollars to make payroll at one of my other companies. And I said, and he's like, I need you to write me a check. I said, well, if I write you a check, um, I won't make payroll. His exact words were, I don't effing care if you make payroll, write the check. <laughs> I said, well, I'm not going to write the check. You're a majority shareholder. You're a signatory on the bank account. If you want the money, you can take it out yourself, but I'm not writing the check. He pulled $500,000 out of our bank account. And I will tell you, we pulled off a miracle. We got companies like Sprint and Hallmark and Blue Cross to pay us early. <laughs> which never happens. Their accounts payable department just don't do that. Uh, but we built up enough goodwill and relationships with them and said, hey, we're in a huge cash crunch. We're not going to make payroll if you don't pay essentially this month's bill early. And they did. Uh, and so we were able to scramble and collect enough money to make payroll. And then I kind of, I was in another business group of CEOs. They're like, you realize you can get sued personally if you don't make payroll. <laughs> I was like, really? I'm like, yeah. So I found out that, yeah, that is actually true. Um, so if you cause people to work and knowingly know that you can't pay them, that's a bad thing. Um, so I decided this is it. We're, we're done. Like, this, I mean, the craziness, the family dynamic, and now we're potentially, you know, personally liable for jail time for a, a, basically a nut job who's just going to suck all the money out of the business at any point in time. So we made the decision to resign. We pulled all the money we could together, made an all cash offer. It was, and if I'm remembering correctly, it was just shy of $2 million that we could pull together from every source we could possibly find, friends, family, leverage our house, every cent we had, said, here's $2 million bucks. we want to buy you out. Um, he didn't even entertain the offer. Um, <laughs> and so we're like, we're, and we, we resigned and made the offer. And that was September 10th. 
Uh, and the next day, you know, it was a lot of money and stuff, but 9-11 put it very much into perspective. It very much became just money and stuff. And thank God I was not on a plane. I wasn't in New York. Um, but it uh, it was all of that. All, 9-11 is totally wrapped up emotionally for me and the loss of my business and all of the craziness that everybody else already knows about 9-11. Um, it's all tied together. Um, and he wound up selling the company. So unbeknownst to us, he had actually been negotiating to sell the company. So that was obviously in September. He had started trying to sell the company in July. Uh, he wound up selling the company roughly the end of October uh, to the only person on the planet that would touch the deal because it was so such a slimy deal because everybody knew he didn't know anything about the business. He took the assets from the company, put them into a shell company and sold the shell company to the guy that didn't pay us the first time. The only buyer, wow. the only buyer on the planet that would touch it. Uh, and he sold it for the receivables, which were about 1 million, million, one, 1.1 million paid out over time as the receivables came in. That was it. Uh, so we sold it for less than we offered purely out of spite to be a total jackass. Um, so that's my entrepreneurial okay. story. Number two. <laughs> okay. So you, you had six, five months in the first company. Yep. Right you're starting four years in the second company, four years in the company, but both companies are booming and you have to get out of it. Now this time around you go, okay, <laughs> we don't need someone else. We don't need a third party person. We're yeah. going to start our own. Yes. What, now do you feel like, cause I mean, it, it seems like it was going fairly, I mean, really well in the first one, the second one, the third one is it was it also going great? Is it going better than great now because you've learned from mistakes? Or here's the story of the of what is now the purple guys. Yeah. Uh, the way I actually even found out that this industry even exists, the outsource your IT support kind of world that we're in, was as we were doing that massive hockey stick zero to ten million dollars. That long ago, I actually could do some technical stuff. So I was the tech guy. I was the president. I was the lead recruiter. My wife was the lead salesperson. And it dawned on me that, hey, I don't need to make sure people can print. Like I should probably have somebody that takes care of that. And we were an IT staffing firm. I was just going to hire somebody, put them on staff and say, you're my internal IT guy. And a couple of my consultants said, hey, I know people that do this part time. You should outsource it. So it was an IT staffing firm and I outsourced my IT support uh, to what was essentially a two man shop. So like I talked about before, they're just two guys. Um, they came on kind of a regular basis and I really liked the model. So when we decided to do our own thing and we knew we were not going to have a chance to buy it, I bought their company. And what I really did was I gave them full-time employment because it wasn't really a company. Um, mm -hmm. So I basically gave them full-time salaries, bought out their customer base. And we had six customers and those two guys that that's what started as what became purple guys. It took me the better part of a year to realize what business I was in. I thought I was in the tech support business. Um, but I realized slowly over time, cause I'm sort of a slow learner at times that we're actually in the service business mm. and really the customer service business. And we happen to deal with technology. And once I realized that, that that's what people were actually paying for. I mean, yeah, they do want their tech stuff fixed, but really they just want somebody they can vent to that is professional enough and has enough of a bedside manner. They can talk them off the ledge and then ultimately make their stuff work. But it's that whole first part of that 
customer service interaction that was critical. So I changed how we were hiring. I changed how we priced things. I changed the whole messaging of, of how we sold it. Uh, and we started to grow. Now we grew zero to $8 million in revenue in 20 years. So it's a totally different, uh, different story, uh, but a very successful story. Uh, and at this point, I, and we've had, we had partners in and out of the business. So that was from 2001 until 2017. Uh, and in February of 2017, we decided to take some chips off the table and we sold 80% of the business. Oh, wow. Um, so, and that was an emotional thing because, you know, we, we, we never gave up majority control. So that was one of the lessons learned. Uh, we did have partners coming out of the business and I'm still on speaking terms with every partner that's coming out of the business. So it can be done. Um, and we've actually had family members in and out of the business over that period. Uh, everybody was happy with, you know, when they came in and they moved on, did other things. Um, and then in, uh, in 2017, we just, it was friend of a friend, kind of a total God connection thing that just, we weren't even looking for somebody. We, we didn't have any partners at the time. My wife and I were the sole owners and just right person, right time, right, uh, right fit. Uh, and we sold 80% of the business and his whole goal, uh, at that point in time, we're about a $4 million company. His whole goal was to grow it and ultimately sell it. Um, so we're like, all right. Uh, and he, he, he wrote us a check that was absolutely too much to pass up. Uh, he had had a very successful outsourced logistics business, um, that was like $150 million in revenue. And he just kind of wanted to get back into the B2B space. So it was cool to have access to him. Um, all of the guys I was in, you know, my business group with, they're like, you are going to hate this person after a week. Like there's literally no way he's not going to be all up in your business telling you how you should run the company. I'm like, no, I really don't think that's what it's going to be. I, you know, I've met with him. My wife and I flew over. He was from St. Louis. We flew over to St. Louis, had dinner with Danny and his wife. And then his CFO was coming as part of the deal. So we had dinner with Scott and his wife and they're just great people, uh, which made it you made it palatable to do the deal and stay in the deal. So we sold 80% and it turns out he was completely hands off. Like no one believed it. They're like, no way the shoe, the other shoe is eventually going to drop. <laughs> uh, but we went four years, we doubled the size of the business. We went basically from a $4 million business to an $8 million business in four years and uh, crossed kind of that magical getting above a million dollars in EBITDA. And a lot of people started knocking on the door. So just this last February, so February of 2021, so from 2017 to February of 2021, February, uh, we doubled the size of the business. And then we kind of got in a bidding war with a couple of people. And again, that price tag was too good to pass up. And Denny's like, it was an investment. I want to, I want to get this deal done. So we sold the business in 2017 and we sold the business again in 2021. And uh, my wife and I rolled equity forward. So we're still owners in this business now, um, but there's a PE group involved and we're doing a roll up and it's, it's really interesting to see the different dynamic and the growth path we're on. Cause since we got acquired in 2021, they took our name nationally, like took it to all their branches. Uh, so rebranded as purple guys. And now we're doing acquisitions as purple guys. And that was always one of my, one of my visions. I wanted to be a national brand. I wanted to have this company that was in a bunch of cities. Uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm getting to see that dream come, come to pass. I mean, it 
somebody else, else's money that's doing it. And we've got this tiny little percentage of equity at the moment, but it's really fun. Uh, it's just another phase of the journey and I'm not driving the bus anymore. Uh, I am officially the chief marketing officer now for Purple Guys. Uh, How, I mean, you've dealt with a lot of people. Like you said, yeah. you've dealt with a lot of partners. You dealt with a lot of family. I mean, what's the groundwork? Is it, I mean, simply having a good meal with them talking to me i mean how long of a time frame is it just a, a gut reaction that you go okay i can deal with this person is a background check on the person i mean what do you feel comfortable these days of knowing this is a person that i'm willing to work with and get in bed with um if i was to start a business again and i guess to kind of rewind all the partners i've had in and out or i had in and out of the purple guys um i knew them for fairly long time uh, before we became partners. And then, you know, when it was time to part ways, it was, you know, some very frank discussions about, hey, here's what's going on. Here's what I think should happen. And, you know, back and forth and agree on terms and then essentially execute a buyout of their stock. Um, but kind of the due diligence of who's the right person to go into business with is, I don't, I don't know that you're ever gonna know for sure. Mm -hmm. Um, but the, the guidance I would tell anybody is know how you're going to end it before you start it and have that conversation on the front end. So any partner we brought in, we had a, a, a really detailed operating agreement of this is how you buy in or earn sweat equity or whatever. And we did a bunch of different flavors of that throughout the years. Uh, but this is also how it ends if we ever need to end it. And that was an upfront conversation we had with every partner that ever came in. And so when it, you know, when it was time and, you know, mostly it was myself and my wife that were like, all right, this is probably time to make a transition. It wasn't, it was still some hard conversations, but it wasn't a surprise. There was nothing coming out of the woodwork that we hadn't talked about before. And there was a, a method to, to liquidate the equity. So it's, it's having that conversation on the front end as, as much as it is who you're having it with. Uh, and just because you've known them your whole life doesn't mean they'll make a great business partner. Um, I mean, yeah. where, do you, where do you see yourself in five years? I know it sounds like a lot of the things kind of popped up. They kind of just happened. So maybe that's a hard, hard yeah. thing to envision. Yeah. Do you have kind of a, a roadmap, a place that you want to be in five years? Uh, five years from now, I think purple guys will have sold again. Uh, I mean, that's just kind of the model. I mean, we're backed by a PE group. They've got a time frame and a model. Um, I'm probably not going with the next sale. I'm probably done. Um, so five years, I've always been a fan of CEO peer groups that are paid facilitator led. I'm actually in a group now. Um, like coaching would be kind of one thing that I could see myself doing. Mm. Um, I don't know that I have a total from scratch startup in me again. <laughs> uh, it's, it's kind of exhausting even thinking about it. Uh, but man, it, there's a lot of fun when you do that. So you know, we're, we're about to be empty nesters. Uh, my, my oldest is 23. So my, my daughter's 23. I've got a son that's 21. I've got another daughter that's 17. She'll be 18 next month. And she, She's going off to college in the fall. So we're going to be empty nesters. So, you know, trying to kick around some ideas with, with my wife on what, what might be next. 
we work really, really well together. Uh, we, were, we were absolutely a case of opposites attract. If you've ever taken a personality profile, um, and we've taken several throughout the years, uh, we are always, whether it's dots, we're, we're the opposite dots. If it's colors, we're the opposite colors. If it's an animal, we're the opposite animals. I mean, every single time. Uh, so. I know you said you wouldn't want to start a new company again. Would you you and your wife ever partner with one of your children and start a new company? Uh, we've actually kicked that idea around. Okay. Uh, uh, yeah, my, my oldest is out of college and uh, she actually lives in Sweden. Um, so just got to visit Sweden over Christmas and New Year's. And anybody that wants to go to Sweden, it is amazing. It was a magical experience. It was wonderful. Um, but she's got a bit of an entrepreneurial bent to her. Um, she's actually got a little bit of an entrepreneurial story. Uh, she's, she's not doing entrepreneurial things right at the moment. She's working in a marketing department, but she's a, she's a singer songwriter, uh, and had raised and given away a little over $50,000 for orphans around the world. That's a whole different podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but, uh, so she's got, uh, some grand aspirations and then my son's studying engineering down at Baylor. Um, and. I, I absolutely see him running something someday, uh, mostly because he's a bit of a malcontent and I'm not sure he could stay in any job for any long, length of time. So he's going to need to own it. Um, so we'll, we'll, we'll see what, what happens there, but I, I would love to do that uh, and to figure it out. Cause you know. is, if that were to happen, is there any must that you have to call out and say, this is what we have to have if we are going to partner up? Uh, the musts for me in business, and again, I've been around in, in a lot of different business peer groups, recurring revenue is hypercritical. Mm. Uh, I just don't get the businesses that are kill it new every month and wipe the slate clean and have to kill it new again. I'm like, that's exhausting. I mean, there's a lot of businesses that are like that, that yeah. are pure project based, but man, that's hard. Um, so th there are so many things that are subscription based. I, I, I've only ever been in a service business. I've never been in a product business. Mm. Um, but the, the one thing from a business model perspective for me is, is some flavor of recurring revenue where a customer stays a customer and essentially pays you ongoing forever, as long as you're doing a good job. That that's, that's kind of a must for me in terms of business model. <laughs> Well, thank you. I appreciate it, John. Thank you for for all your insight. Uh, for if anyone's listening right now and they want to hear more about your story, maybe about a, a future book, some coaching, whatever it might be in the future, what's the best way of them kind of staying in touch with you, John? Uh, all of my contact info, and you can reach me through purpleguys.com. Uh, so it's just the color purple, G-U-I-S.com. So that's all of the current business stuff. I'm out on LinkedIn. Uh, my LinkedIn is slash purple guy um so if you basically if you google purple guy i'm going to come up or purple guys is going to come up and i'm associated with it so uh, that that's probably the best way to get a hold of me perfect and then all john's information is in the show notes so please take a look please subscribe guys please share go follow john and if you were listening he's probably going to have some coaching in the future so <laughs> be aware of that thanks john have a great one guys Thank you for listening to The Road to Growth, Success of an Entrepreneur. Please like, subscribe, and stay connected. Visit www.TheEnriquezGroup.com. Yeah, I created a website. Hope to see you again next week. The Enriquez Group, signing off.